Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of HuffPost's So That Happened is brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com. Try ZipRecruiter and get your perfect candidate this summer before they go to somebody else. Today, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash happened. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash happened. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened. On August the 6th, 17 Republican candidates will participate in the first debates. The problem for many will be that they're sharing the stage with a loose cannon known as Donald Trump. The problem for many more is that they won't be sharing that stage at all. We'll try to sort out how to strategize for a debate that has no precedent. Meanwhile, we've given Congress an extra week to sort out how they're going to cobble together a highway funding bill. And it looks like they've all agreed now to come to an agreement later, at which point they'll probably not agree. You weren't planning on using any roads, though, so it's probably chill. Finally, former Texas Senator Phil Graham returned to Congress this week, testifying before the House Financial Services Committee about how regulating the financial industry was a form of bigotry. It was a pretty hot take considering that Graham helped author so many of the policies that led to the financial collapse in the first place. I'm Jason Lincolns, today with Huffington Post reporters Laura Barone-Lopez, Zach Carter, Shaheen Nasirapur, and Lauren Weber. And here's what happened first. Hey, great. So welcome back to another edition of So That Happened. I'm Jason Lincolns, editor of Youth the Press of the Huffington Post. I'm joined today by the sandcastle on my sunny beach. Zach Garner. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Don't let the tide knock him down. I want you to stand forever, man. All things go. All things go. The center does not hold. And joining us today is another great debutante on our podcast and the editor of the morning political email newsletter. I don't know if I said the branding on that right. You know, the morning email. It's totally fine. Okay, we'll go with editor, it. Editor, the we'll morning email. It. We should change the title. I don't, yeah. And an all-around bon vivant, Lauren Weber. Thanks for having me, guys. Yes. Welcome, Lauren. Welcome, Lauren. We're going to talk about a subject that's like very dear to Lauren and, and my ventricles. <laughs> Uh, which is the upcoming uh, Republican debate. Yeah! Uh, yeah, yeah, we're finally, yeah, 2016, we're going to dip into it. We're finally you know? here. Yeah, we're going to dip into it, and uh, I'm, full disclosure, going to miss the first Republican debate. I realize that I'll be probably missing an event in American history like the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Or Your like life is the, clearly over. Or the surrender at Appomattox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, the GOP, August 6th in Cleveland, 17 guys uh, now with Jim Gilmore jumping into the race. Yep. For those of you who don't know who Jim Gilmore is, congratulations. It does not matter. It literally does not matter. Not at all. 
Yeah, who cares if you know it or not? Don't let any man come up to you and tell you you're inferior for not remembering who Jim Gilmore is because he was the governor of my state. I barely remember him. Where is a badge of honor not he's, knowing who that yeah, is? He's the 17th guy to jump into the race. And most stages for debates, TV studios, conventionally speaking, don't fit that many people. No. So now, I mean, the, previously the, the rule was top 10 in the polls get to make this debate. Yes. But Fox relaxed the rules, and now the first debate is not even the first debate anymore. They're having no. a pre-debate. They're having a pre-debate for the losers. It's crazy. It's like Gotta pre-game. get everybody in. Gotta get everybody, gotta get a chance on the stage. Yeah. You want to pay the losers mortgage and let them yell at you on TV for a while. <laughs> it is true. Rick it Santelli. is. Rick's, yeah, Rick Santelli should hate this debate because we're literally bailing out the losers. Um, and just to give you kind of an idea before we before we get too far afield, of like who the losers might be in this situation. Um, right now, qualifying the people, according to the HuffPost pollster average, and this is going to change because there's some decisive polls that are going to come out in the next week that will probably speak more to who gets in and who get, who's left out. Uh, right now, your top 10 would be, uh, you know, Donald Sack of Afterbirth Trump, <laughs> uh, Jeb Bush, Scott Walker, Ben Carson, Mark and just before we move on, Scott Walker is the last person pulling in double digits. From he's ten point six. From there, we get Ben Carson dropping down all the way to five point nine percent in the polls. Marco Rubio, Mike Huckabee, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Chris Christie, and look at that, our boy John Kasich just gets Been in calling under it. the wire right now. Been yes, calling it for years. Yes, you have, you have. And so left out, left out of the debate, Rick Santorum, Rick Perry. Carly Fiorina, Bobby Jindal, George Pataki, Lindsey Graham, and Jim Gill. More. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. The only man. Those, so those. And, and just to be, just to be, Jim Gilmore may have gotten in the race too late to even get into polls. So he might not make either debates, the winners or the losers debates. Uh, wait. So there's a possibility that I mean. The first debate will be everybody trying to take shots at Donald Trump, right? Because he's he's pulling way out way out in front right now. Exactly. If that's the strategy, yeah. the, the real debate. There's going to be some diversity but, of strategy. But what's on that. what's your strategy in the loser debate? I mean, who, you want to? Is it is it like all the boys gang up on like Carly Fiorina because she's like used to be an executive in the business world? Is that would it be like, so gross to watch. That seems like a horrible idea. I'll bet they do that though. I'll bet they do that. I don't know. Go all in at attacking Fiorina? Yeah. You don't uh, really know about I'd, I'd, I'd put my chips somewhere else. I, yeah, but, they, yeah. but remember, the every time Republicans have the opportunity to do something that's like sane on demographics, they always do the exact opposite, right? They're like, let's get the let's let's do the Donald Trump thing and just like dump on immigrants. I'll bet they just dump on the lady. I'll bet that's what uh, happens. Well, gosh, I let's hope, hope not. Yeah, that would be that would be a gross thing to witness. Um, and I'm, you know, she's also not a career politician. Everybody else on that stage is a career politician, right? So maybe, maybe she looks better. It's true, but maybe she's able to, you know, be like, I'm the outsider. I have the business experience that you all are lacking, which is debatable. She was was a terrible CEO, but I mean, yeah, you know, Bobby Jindal. What is his claim? What has he done? He wrecked the state of Louisiana. (laughs) Not much. (laughs) He's getting chased out of the bayou. Yeah, yeah. He's he comes he comes out of Louisiana now at the lowest approval ratings of his career, with no one from either party down there particularly fond of him. Newspapers excoriating him, and I think Louisianans look at Jindal's 
presidential ambition is, you know, an, an attempt at an escape hatch for bad fiscal management of the state. But I think the bigger issue here is the fact that when you have these two debates, uh, you, you kind of permanently hurt the candidates who end up in the losers debate. Oh, yeah. You, you, you permanently set them up as the losing candidates. Yeah. And and from there, it becomes much harder. At this stage of the game, when we get into... This is still August 6th when this happened. This yep. is still an opportunity for all these people to attract elite support, to attract big donor support. And those are the type of people who aren't going to be watching the tiny little baby debate, the kids' mm-hmm. table debate. Mm-mm. It's going to be a disaster. But do, do do does the conservative movement watch the kids' table debate because they're like, hey, you know what? I care about this stuff. I I love politics, so I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that debate. And does somebody who does really well in the in the kids' table debate end up vaulting up in the polls even without uh, a lot of money just because they did well on the you know in the sort of well, yeah, because they're game. theoretically sparring with lesser foes. Mm-hmm. So you could, I guess, make more of a name for yourself. But I'm with you, Jason. I don't think that they'll ever kind of make it past this cutoff. Like, it, it kind of, you know, it establishes them as being underdogs, but they're not even underdogs in the big table debate. They're still in the little leagues, so. Yeah, if you can't win the little table debate. You're just kind of toast. Yeah, then it's then it's over. Right, but whoever wins, like, let's say let's say it's whatever, Carly Fiorina, let's say it's Rick Santorum. Like, they they come out of this being like, wow, they looked really good with a bunch of, debating a bunch of clowns. And let's let's be clear, the people in the top tier, there are a lot of clowns in that tier, too. That is that is kind of a joke, joke class, too. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, um, you know, I think that I mean, there's a sense that maybe you know, like in the Premier League, you'll have like a team from the lower league that wins a bunch of games and gets to go up and play with the big boys and then get beat down and go back. Um, I mean, it's possible you have some people who theoretically are heavy hitters in that. Rick Santorum in 2012 yep. did a fantastic job debating his way to the center of attention, to second place in the polls. He won some states. He theoretically won the Iowa caucus. Let's let's mm-hmm. not remember that. Let's not forget that. Uh, he was in it for a long time. I mean, it was a much much more competitive uh, primary and he, than people expected. He, he used all those opportunities mm-hmm. to punch his way to, to relevance. To center stage. But for whatever reason, him and Perry, two guys who you would naturally assume might be able to bring over the mojo for having run uh, as having run for president before are on the outside looking in here. Uh, so it's an even harder task for those guys. I'm a little bit surprised that Perry hasn't manifested any kind of momentum. I'm sad. I wanted to see him go after Donald Trump on the big, big stage. Yeah, I, I wanted to see the showdown. And I also feel like Rick Perry, cause he set the expectation game so low with his previous debate performances could really shine if he actually showed up. Yeah, yeah all he's got to do is be able to tie his shoes and he'll be like, well, he was much better than last year. Last time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. See those double knots? I mean, that's that's beating the expectations game. That's how you win debates. I mean, you overperform. I mean, that's... Uh, and Perry, let's not re- let's not forget that he, in the debate in 012, why do I always say 012? Sorry, in I, I kind of liked it. You should keep going with it's, that. It's just a tendency. I Obama twelve, maybe that's what it is. You know? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm going to give you credit. <laughs> Real bailout there from uh, from Lauren, Jason. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Lauren. Lauren, Lauren, I live to my serve. Um, per- Perry got his got excoriated when he talked about immigration because as a border state governor, yep. he had to 
there are a lot of things I think Rick Perry did irresponsibly, but he had no choice but to face up the fact that he was a border state governor responsibly. And as such, his policies with regard to immigration were pretty humane and well-reasoned and responsible, and he has ideas on how to manage it. But because he allowed himself to be, I guess, dispositionally humane toward Mexican immigrants, he was torn apart at that debate. The issue's back at the center, and he'd be a guy that I think deserves to re-up his argument because no one, because the Republicans took a stab at fixing this issue, both with their party and with the larger community. He's a guy who deserves to have his say again on this, on this matter and dare the candidates to tear him apart a second time. And he's not going to get a chance. I think that's I think that's terrible, especially considering what a huge issue this is for America and really for their party. It's a shame. I mean, I don't know, but maybe Zach has a point. Maybe he'll conquer the little kids debate and make it up to the big time. I I, th- I think whoever does whoever does really well at the, at the baby debate, I think, is going to be much more significant in the next month than the people who finish in the bottom half of the of the big kids debate. That's kind of a uh, bold statement, though. Yeah, dude. I, I I know. I know. But I, I think the, uh, the the bottom half of the if you do badly against 10 candidates in the in the, the big kid debate, I mean, you're talking about people who are already polling at like four percent, just further push five percent. Yeah, right. Like Chris, Chris Christie. I mean, that guy was considered a real contender a few years ago. Right. And now he's I mean, his state's a mess. He, I mean, his administration intentionally causes traffic problems for his people. <laughs> like, he's screwed. There's no way that guy's going to be president. It's just not going to happen. Mike Huckabee and Ben Carson, they are not going to be president. And and John Kasich is also not going to be president. Like, these these oh. are people, it's just not going to happen. I'm rooting for it. I'm rooting for it. They're pulling it next to nothing already. And and that support's going to have to go somewhere. People are going to watch that for, that the, the big kids debate and and the numbers for the people like I hate to say this Donald Trump, uh, Scott Walker, people at the top of that debate right now. Those numbers are going to thicken up uh, after that debate, and somebody else is going to jump in to to suck up some of the uh, some of the other stuff at the uh, at the bottom. Um, yeah, you know, we we actually talked about this uh, a few months ago yeah. about debate ideas that might help this out. Exactly. I think my favorite of yours was where when people answer things wrong or lie on screen, they get, you know, sent to a pit of alligators. But right. Sadly, get it. Yeah. As soon as you <laughs> as soon as you say something that's fundamentally untrue, untrue you're just done. Yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite, Jason. Beg idea. your way back into the back into the thing. Maybe you'd fall into just like a, a nasty pit of muck. I'm kind of I kind of like the alligators. I don't know. I'm, I, uh, death penalty. <laughs> I'm not cool with. We do numbering people by alligator. I can't get behind. It's not. It's not really the death penalty. You fall into a pit of the alligator. And I mean, what you, you do with that alligator? Worth. I mean, yeah. Can you face Personal off against Vladimir Putin? Like, it's. I mean, he clearly can do a lot of those things. If you can't wrestle an alligator, alligator how like, are you going to face Ahmadinejad, who's no longer <laughs> power? <laughs> who's, who's no longer in power? Um, <laughs> it will be hard for you to face him, though. Let's yeah. be honest. It's going to be tough. Not, not easy at all. All right. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Lauren Weber. Thanks for having me. Always uh, a blast. We'll be right back. This episode of HuffPost So That Happened is brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com. Business owners, did you know that summer is a great time to hire the best people? With your competitors on vacation, there's less competition for quality candidates. But posting your job in one place, it's not enough to find them. And when you're short-staffed, there's no time to deal with the dozens of different job sites. Until now, thanks to ZipRecruiter.com, you can post to 100-plus job sites with just a single click. 
Just post once, and within 24 hours, watch your candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. Plus, be instantly matched to candidates from over 4 million resumes. Here's a testimonial from one happy customer named Rick Sheffers. He had this to say, quote, I had a great experience using ZipRecruiter. It was so fast and easy to input all my information and have it sent out on the web. I had replies from highly qualified individuals within 24 hours. I would highly recommend this service to anyone waiting to expand their business. ZipRecruiter has been used by over 400,000 businesses, and you can try it right now for free. Try ZipRecruiter and get your perfect candidate this summer before they go to somebody else. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash happen. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash happen. Again, ZipRecruiter.com slash happen. we're back and joining us now is our is our is our best friend laura barone lopez (laughs) how are you doing good how are you i'm great i'm great you're here because of the exciting highway beat very exciting laura's just talking about how much she loves covering i love it so much and loves congress i don't want it to end it's cool because stuff keeps happening on that front or does it yeah Hmm. it it does and it doesn't. So pick us up from where we <laughs> left off last week. Last week it was uncertain, as usual, mm-hmm. that a highway funding bill would pass. That there was a Senate bill and a House bill. The House had trouble because people added a bunch of shit to it. It was the Senate. Oh, sorry, let me back up. <laughs> yeah, it was the Senate that added all those weird funding mechanisms. To yes. It, including briefly a funding mechanism that would take money from Social Security. That's correct. That was a non-starter. House freaked out. It looked mm-hmm. like we were headed toward... A uh, cliff. A cliff. <laughs> cliff at the end of the road. Highways are not supposed to head toward cliffs. No, they aren't. They're supposed to head away from cliffs. Mm-hmm. Perhaps get close to the cliff so you might look over... Uh-huh. If you're a daredevil. beautiful yeah. vista. Mm-hmm. But not over. So a lot of the bad stuff was resolved as far as some of the funding mechanisms that people just flat out rejected. Yes. But we're still stuck in a situation where the House and Senate weren't together that at best it might, we might be looking at a, at a, conf, a fractious conference situation. That's right. Because they had, um, well, last week we ended where they had two different bills entirely. Yeah. The House had passed a five-month extension because they said they needed more time to do a multi-year bill, even though everyone knew that this deadline was coming up. So... The Senate was like, no, we need, we want to pass a multi-year bill, even though they also piece theirs together. We need to fund the road in order to kick the can down the road. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> last last week there was a lot of puns. I know. That wasn't so, a football metaphor. That I, I was, was just, cliche. I was saying, I'm It waiting. was a cliche, though. So then um, this week on, what was it? I don't know. Maybe Fourth and two third days from ago. The, from the second quarter. It's blurry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really blurry now. Um... They, House and Senate Republicans said, okay, they finally came together and decided, look, we'll, we'll agree on a three-month extension. So that way, Senate was like, it'll keep the pressure on, how, on the House to get their work done on a multi-year bill. So when they all come back in September, they'll take the Senate's uh, three-year bill, which they are about to pass um, momentarily, and as we speak, as we speak, and then uh, take the House's multi-year bill and conference it and figure their 
crap out. And uh, then, but in order to stave off, you know, a fiscal cliff for the Highway Trust Fund, which is set to expire, what, is tomorrow, tomorrow, July 31st? July 31st? Uh, Ish, now-ish. Either way. Remember. In like one or two days, um, they are going to pass the three-month extension. So this is confusing to me because <laughs> I me I studied political theory in college and uh, which was your first mistake? I made many mistakes, <laughs> much bigger than that before that. Uh, but in in political theory class, I learned that a lot of conservatives don't like the government and they don't like the idea of the government doing things. They want to have it have a private sector that does things. But the things that they're okay with include the military and roads at, like, bare minimum. It's still okay to have the government taking care of roads because people got to get around. Mm-hmm. It seems to me like now we are sort of saying, ah, maybe uh, maybe no roads for the conservative movement anymore. Maybe we don't like roads. Is, is that what's happening or am I missing something? No, I think that the main – one of the big problems is that no one is getting behind increasing the gas tax. And yes, because everyone is trying to figure out where to pull this money from for a fund that is completely falling apart. It has had 33 short-term patches in the last six years, so no long-term ones, uh, which makes it very difficult for states to Plan you know, anything. Plan anything yeah. to get major projects going. So, and, and typically we fund highway projects with this, with the gas tax. And yeah, so the gas that. tax, which uh, contributes about $34 billion each year, uh, but it hasn't been touched, so that hasn't gone up. And yet the needs for the transportation infrastructure across the U.S. have gone up. So they need more money in the fund. The spending level that it has been for the past few decades isn't working, so they need to increase it. Is there any or, or just raid the rest of the federal government for right. stuff? Yeah, <laughs> which is what they're doing. Highway, of course, highway upkeep is something that drives jobs. Yes, people go to work because. Is there? Do they do they get away with these short term patches? Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this question. It seems to me that obviously, if you want to actually secure jobs for this kind of work. You need a long-term plan in place. You can't just be going month to month because mm-hmm. out there in the real world, when you actually set up a project, any kind of construction project, it takes a few months just to arrive at the plan and personnel for what you want to do. And so when the rug's being pulled out from under you and you don't know whether you're actually going to break ground on something or go to work fixing something, it becomes harder and harder Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Me, these short-term patches contribute to uh, an adverse employment condition. Mm-hmm. Do we ever, does anyone ever face consequences for that? I wouldn't because say that. that's the one thing that seems to be able to shame members of Congress is when they when they act in such a way that people lose jobs. Well, that's true. I mean, and the transportation officials 
across all the states and, you know, unions and all of the manufacturers are very upset with Congress. They've been saying it. They said uh, yesterday the National Association of Manufacturers was like, look, you could have had a chance to pass a three-year bill. They were mainly probably directing that at the House because the House said they needed more time. And the Export-Import Bank bill, which they liked as well, which would have been attached to – which is attached to this three-year highway bill – so they're very upset. They're like, once again, you know, Congress isn't living in the real world and we're losing all these jobs or all these jobs that could have that we could have given, you know, to our our workers. And we're not able to because you aren't producing a longer term bill that will then make it so we can work on these big projects. What does it mean for the economy when you have workers who can do productive work who are just sitting on the sidelines? I mean that's bad. That's just that's, I know it's, it's bad. It's just dead loss. I mean it's just it's just waste. Mm. It, it, it. I mean, it, you're you're losing you're losing the people who would be working on these construction projects, but you're also you're also causing other types of work to be less productive and less exactly. efficient. So it it actually means less jobs for everybody. It also means smaller paychecks for CEOs, which I know are not the most yeah. sympathetic group. But things when things do not run efficiently, corporations do not make as much money. So even corporate elites have a reason to be pissed off about this. And just sitting, uh, you know, to play off of Zach's point, it, they, um, the American civil engineers said that it costs Americans 100 or it costs the economy $101 billion by just having people sitting on the roads all the time and congestion backing up. So many people just spent like that was just money lost because of how poorly the road, how poor the roads are and the constant congestion. I mean, on the plus side, as a result of all this bad highway funding mess, Congress has spent a lot of time and energy uh, developing alternative forms of transportation like high-speed rail, uh, which have made the the country's sort of transportation infrastructure much stronger. Wait, where do we have high-speed rail? (laughs) Just kidding. No. (laughs) I was about to be like, uh... That is a crime, though. That is, I mean, that is, it is sad. It is sad that other countries, including, I think, Uzbekistan, have high-speed rail maglev trains that get from place to place very fast. Uzbekistan? Well, no, I'm, I'm, I've got my stands mixed up there. Never mind. It's, there's one of, the, one of the petrochemical <laughs> uh, Central Asian dictatorships has maglev technology. Yeah. The, fam- the most famous example of these bullet trains is, of course, in uh, places like Japan, mm-hmm. uh, where they last year they actually set a record traveling between... Uh, Tokyo, and I believe, I don't have it in front of me, so this is going to be probably misinformation, but I think it was Tokyo and Osaka. Um, the kind of technology would get us from D.C. to New York City, just to use a cliched, beltway-centric example, in 40 minutes' time, which would be really great for the economy because it would keep, you know, we could go place to place, you know, Probably businesses. suck for a lot of deer, though. I mean, a lot, suck of, for a, lot of a lot of deer <laughs> get killed by the, the Acela as it is. It would suck for a lot of deer. You're correct. But I'm trying to just tell the deer for the <laughs> moment just make a point. to suck it up and take it for the team. For the moment, <laughs> we will come back to you, deer, and figure your shit out later. Um, probably won't. We'll probably find a way <laughs> yeah, to kill more right. deer. Deer are kind of a big ecological problem. Do you actually. think that there's any funding possibility for a massive program to put people to work killing deer. What? <laughs> I did not expect that question to go that way. <laughs> See, this is a good idea. <laughs> so it's a, this is a big problem. I'm just deep. Don't they pay I'm people trying, to go out and hunt more for deer? I'm trying to improve the output Because gap. to keep the population in Because they eat everything. Yeah. It's bad for the And eat. spread Lyme disease. Okay, that was a distraction. I'll admit. I'll admit that was. was a distraction. Uh, we're Yes, yes. My our producer 
suggest we uh, wrap that up. Yeah, not talk about dead animals in a time like this. Um, so lions uh, eat gazelles. Come on. Yeah, it's true. So where do we go from? Where where is it going from here? We have to wait. So it's going to be a three month. I like how we've 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 been kind of like talked down from a five month stupid patch to a three month stupid patch. Yeah, or you could also say from a three year. So yeah, well, I mean, I was being as optimistic as possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where what's going to happen when what what's plausible as far as when they come back from recess? Well, mm-hmm. Are they any closer to getting to a long term? Well, they will be because the Senate is going to, as we speak, pass um, the three year their three year. Okay, so, so that, it's it authorizes spending levels for six years, pays for three of those years. So they are going to have to eventually find the rest of the money for for the other three years. But um, they pass; they're going to pass that. So that'll be waiting when they come back from uh, from August recess, and then the House is going to get to work on their own multi-year bill. Do they need to be softened up with wiffle ball bats or something <laughs> to get on the stick about this? I'm just trying to. I'm just casting about for a solution here. Maybe. I mean, the more pressure that they feel, the more likely they are going so, to finally put together a multi-year bill. So the House comes back, and where are they apart from the Senate right now? They don't have a multi-year bill. They don't have a multi-year bill. So they have a bunch of ideas about, you know, they really want to look at tax reform, especially international tax reform, <laughs> to then, yes, but other people in the Senate are like, I don't think that's even possible to get done in three months right. by the, October 29th. But I that done tax reform for like six exactly. years. Exactly. <laughs> and every time they come someone comes out with a plan, it just gets tossed to the wayside. So their solution is to jump to a totally different issue and invite a lobbying orgy. Well, to use it to fund the 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 highway bill. But yeah, it's um it's definitely going to be difficult and the house is going to have to find some viable funding mechanisms okay, that it can get on board with. So if you're a DIY enthusiast and are good at making road tar out of household chemicals, please do us all solid and get out there on the roads and patch some shit because <laughs> it's going to be a long time before anyone in America is paid to build roads again. <laughs> Basically. All right. Thanks, Laura. Thank you. And we have returned from that break. Um, we're joined now by yet another debutante for our podcast, Mr. Shaheen Nazirapur. And for those of you who don't know the Shaheen, angriest man in Scotland. He is, he is like the OG HuffPost uh, economic policy, economics reporter, uh, business reporter. I mean, he was here from the beginning. That's um, right. He is, he is a legend in multiple circles of reporting uh, in, in Washington. Although he lived in Not Boston, for any now. good reasons. But welcome, welcome, Shaheen. Shaheen, for those of you who don't know, why would any of you know this, lives in Boston. So we don't see Shaheen very often. So it's good to have you here in our office, in our warm embrace. And we've got a lot to talk about today. And we'll let Zach uh, set the stage. Shaheen, you and I have been talking. We, we've known about this man for a long time. I don't think he's as well known to the general public. Um, but, but among bank dorks, this, this man is a legend. Uh, he is a former senator from Texas. Uh, he goes by Dr. Phil Graham. 
He once uh, called us a nation of whiners. Yeah, I think he's best known for that. He he was uh, one of John McCain's campaign managers in uh, in or not campaign managers, but one of his co-chairs or something. You know, one of these sort of fluffy political campaign positions for the 2008 campaign. Yeah. And as the economy was falling apart, he said that we were just a nation of whiners who were suffering from uh, a quote mental recession unquote. Basically saying, you know, oh, it, this whole financial right. system falling apart. Really, it's just that all these people want to believe that we're having a recession. So Y'all it's a need to suck problem. it up, bear down, and just get on with your lives. Stop whining about how Lehman Brothers just sent all that cash to heaven that we'll never get back. So that's a pretty good impression. <laughs> that's, my, that's my full grand impression. That's a pretty good impression of him. He was at, uh, he was at this, this terrific hearing before the House Financial Services Committee this week, um, and he said a couple of things. Um, and let's, let's, let's listen to him. It's the one form of bigotry that is still allowed in America, and that's bigotry against the successful. And then? My friend Ed Whitaker at AT&T, if there's ever been an exploited worker, even though they made a big deal about him getting $75 million when he retired, the man added billions of dollars of value. He was exploited. It was an outrage. Can I just make one request? Sure. Can we give a little background on Phil Graham? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, Let's give some background on Phil Graham. Well, so so tell because like it makes the story so much better. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fact that this guy had even been invited to this hearing to speak as like the GOP's lead witness was remarkable because. Um, well, let's think here. He was former chairman of the Senate Banking Committee, right, during mm-hmm. the Clinton years, and he authored the Graham Leach Bliley Act, which yeah. did what, Zach? So there was this big merger between a company called Citibank and a company called Travelers. And they agreed to do it. They signed the papers and everything. Like, all right, we're going to merge. The problem with that merger is that it was illegal. You could not do it. Uh, there, were, there were restrictions between risky securities trading and traditional conventional lending. Uh, you couldn't have one company doing the same thing. So Phil Graham and, and his buddies in Congress worked very closely with Sandy Weil, who was who, uh, not just the lobbyist, but Sandy Weil himself, the CEO of Citigroup, mm-hmm. to write a law that would legalize that merger. And what happened to Citigroup? Um, I thought Citigroup got a bailout, right? Yeah, big time. Right? Yeah, and Sandy Weil, if I recall correctly, is the dude who uh, bragged for years that he was the man who broke Glass-Steagall. Shattered it. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't With Graham Leach-Bliley. And then flash forward to the years after the financial crisis that we all talk about. Sandy Weil goes on CNBC and says, you know, I think that probably we need a firewall between investment banking and conventional <laughs> banking. Just some sort of firewall. I don't know what form it would take, but yeah, I think, I think now that I've gotten out and I have my billions – but hey, he and, and Andrew Ross, Andrew Ross Sorkin was like, oh, I mean, yeah, I guess. But but like, get, at least give, give Sandy Weil some credit that like he, Sandy Weil at least owned up to it and said I was wrong and this was bad for the country. Uh, he didn't though. Yeah, he did. He totally did. He said he said he, so. said he said he said not in that appearance. I'm thinking of. not in that appearance. I'm thinking he of. he definitely he fell on the sword because when I when I watched that segment on CNBC, it was world it was world famous for me to watch this segment. He treated it. As if like it was just a thing that happened. It wasn't a it wasn't a hammer he swung. But he said it was a mistake. He said he said it, it should not have been done. And and that is not what Phil Graham did at the hearing today. No, that's the hearing true. today he said this had nothing to do with the crisis. <laughs> <laughs> he actually at one point said that it's impossible. It's mathematically impossible for a big bank to fail and have it drag down the economy, uh, which is just a remarkable thing to say. But Citigroup, I mean, during during the, the crisis years, the years leading up to the crisis, it was the worst bank. 
It, it was worse than all of all of the other bad banks combined. They're obviously, it was, pretty it good was at terrible. Lending, obviously, uh, pretty great. A lot of that. dodgy subprime lending. They had a huge bailout. Um, let's see here. A lot of risky securities trading. I mean, they acquired all these hedge funds that took very risky bets. Right. Um, and, and didn't and, they need like a ton of help and a lot of looking the other way to pass their stress test? Oh yeah. I mean, they because, come on. It, it, they, it took years and years uh, for them for them to get back on their feet. And remember, I mean, for for are they back on their feet? My impression is they still have like a cr- bunch of crazy assets that just just remember possibly survive their mark to market. For our listeners who, who who tuned in last week to hear about Primerica, the Primerica Primerica was acquired by Under Sandy Weil. They they, yes. they were running a multi level marketing scheme. Uh, for a while, and and eventually regulators were like, they didn't officially tell them to get rid of it, but Citigroup decided to to rationalize its business plan to streamline its operations. <laughs> Just so happened that the multi level marketing scheme got got the boot at that point in time. But that's only one of the things that 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 Phil Graham did. Oh yes. The other yes. thing is actually even better. Yes. A lot of you have probably heard of an insurance company called AIG. Oh, they're yes. Yeah. So why did AIG go under? Uh, AIG went under. Short story is they wrote a bunch of insurance on dodgy, risky mortgage securities, and those securities started to default. AIG had to pay up. They didn't have the cash to make the good on their commitments. Huge bailout. So the reason AIG had made, I think they were ultimately exposed to like well over a trillion dollars in, in mortgage debt, um, and all like the same direction. All like we bet that these shitty loans are not going to default. Right. Uh, the reason they were able to do that is because federal regulators and state regulators were prohibited from taking a look at these things called credit default swaps. And the man who wrote the legislation saying you couldn't do that was Phil, Phil Graham. Phil Graham in that same piece of legislation. By the way, with the help of the Clinton administration, to be fair. Definitely. Graham Leach Bliley and. Yes, definitely. And, yeah. and like the 90 senators. Was, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, this was overwhelmingly the, I think the it consensus. Was, I think it was Byron Dorgan on the floor of the Senate who said, you know what? I think in about 10 years, we're all going to regret having done that. He That's was right. off by one year. He was yeah. off by one year. And he voted against it. I think there were, there were eight. Who Good on Byron it. Dorgan. That, that, was, that was Graham Leach Bliley. The Commodity Futures Modernization Act, I believe, was unanimous. Uh, it, it, yes, it was. That just went through the thing. Modernized the shit out of some commodities, and that was like a late night in between Christmas and New Year's. But thing that passed. It's amazing how another thing in that which was even worse. This was all sold as like it's a new era for finance. We've got to step up and get out of these primitive systems and get into the new way of making money. But 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 look at what. But think about there's this other thing that happened in that same bill. Phil Graham also also barred regulatory scrutiny of of like. Online of like electronic energy trading at Enron. Well, yeah, that's that interesting. Great. Tell tell us more about this Enron. So Enron, what happened with Enron? <laughs> Enron failed, and and people were sentenced to prison. People went to prison. There were multi million dollar insider trading lawsuits. One of the people who was party to the, the a multi million dollar settlement over over uh, insider trading was a woman named Wendy Graham who had been serving on the board of Enron for a long time on their audit committee. Wait, they couldn't possibly be related. Are they? No. She is the wife of Phil Graham, who Jeez. pushed through this stuff to deregulate them. Now, a lot of other this people like voted for this. Abbey of but he, wrote he, he wrote this stuff. He wrote this stuff. So it's not, it's, it's, it's not just that he voted for it. He actually penned the legislation, got it in there. Uh, 
and, he's fighting and, bigotry, though, Zach. And yet, House Republicans think this is the great spokesman for, like, you know, here's yeah. here's the guy who we need to talk to who, to explain everything that's, that's wrong with the American economy today, why the recovery has been so slow. And he shows up and says, it's all Dodd-Frank's fault. We have Soviet-style regulation <laughs> in the United States. Uh, Roman law no longer holds in the United States. I don't know what the hell he was getting at with this Roman law thing. Gibberish is what it is. <laughs> we don't wear togas with purple stripes on them anymore. Is what it is he was nonsense. Uh, it was just, it was a total, it, it was it was garbage coming out of his mouth. Hot garbage coming out of his mouth. And not only did Republicans sit there and just say, yes, this is amazing, Democrats just kind of let it lie. Yeah. They were just like, oh, yeah, there's Phil Graham talking. No one brought up his personal history. No one challenged him. You know, after he left the, left the Senate, he went to work for UBS, big Swiss bank. For yeah. several years. Tons of scandals at UBS. Yes. I mean, people hiding diamonds in, like, toothpaste to protect, like, uh, you know, tax avoidant, t- yes. and tax evaders, all sorts of stuff. No one asked him, you know, you know what, what he thought was going on at UBS at the time uh, or, or whether he thinks people should have been prosecuted. No one asked him about financial crime. None of this. Democrats just totally let it go. It was like, well, whatever. What are you going to do? It's Phil Graham. He's just going to talk that, that, you know, and I mean, maybe ignoring him is the way to do it. But you could I, I do think you, know, you saw Rick Perry this week gave a speech on the economy, which was basically like. Rick Perry believes in unicorns, but but he he, <laughs> he offered he offered the the sort of there is this this sort of they are bigger in Texas than unicorns yeah th- but there's this this new sort of ideology this this new line that's that's emerged on the right where it was affordable housing that caused the crisis too yes. many too many loans to poor people that caused the crisis and they look at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac where some really dumb and abusive things happened Let, let's be clear Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were a significant part of what happened in, in 2008. But they were not the, the primary cause. The primary cause was a bunch of bankers who wanted to get rich off of shitty loans. Um, and, and then they did get rich off of shitty loans. Right. <laughs> and then they got bailed out. They, when we talk about the Wall Street bailout, you, you can't do that without talking about Wall Street. And the banks used that bailout money to procure more lobbyists to keep going at any further financial regulation. Right. That's, That's right. Their lobbying expenditures went up but yeah. this, in the aftermath of the But crisis. this fairy tale, this economic fairy tale that it was all Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and Bill Clinton who wanted to give too many minorities – uh, without any money, you know, loans that they couldn't afford, that 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 has really taken hold on on the right because it is a way to absolve wealthy people from the Republican side of the world of any wrongdoing and only stick it on wealthy people from the Democratic side of the world. Um, and and I, I I I it's astounding to me that this this thing this myth still has traction, um, especially after the Federal Reserve. Which is not like a collection of a bunch of Occupy like type lefties. Right. They have said several times that this notion is nonsense and there's no truth to it. And they've like looked at all the evidence and they've concluded affordable housing goals played no role in the crisis. And the Federal Reserve, I mean, these are people. The, the Fed, if anything, is too close to banks and too nice right. to them, and is willing to peddle things that make them feel good. I mean, there's there's an amazing thing that's happening on the highway bill: seventeen billion dollars uh, of free money that just goes out the door from the federal government to banks. Right? Yes. The Federal Reserve yeah. is bending over backwards right now to make sure that that free money that banks get for nothing doesn't get sucked up into like highway funding. I mean, Janet Yellen's going around saying. This will this this is uh, this will discourage people from participating in the Federal Reserve System if we don't give them this free money. And who cares? They have authority over them whether they participate or not. Anyway. It's also not going to – banks aren't going to leave the Federal Reserve System because they lose like this small you know, uh, dividend that they get from the Fed. Yeah, they're just not. What, what are they going to do instead? Where, where, honestly, where are they going to go? They're going to move to Mexico and get What a other source of funding are they going to get? You guys are looking at me like I did this. <laughs> like right. I'm the person responsible. 
I'm agreeing. It's fine. Well, Just chill. Shaheen, I'm so glad you were here, my yes. brother. It is always good to this see you. This is like old school. What kind glad of... to have you guys here. Zach doesn't know how to do a handshake, by the way. I'll tell you just a brief funny story about Enron. Uh, my my friend uh, who was in the Rude Mechanicals Theater Troupe in Austin, Texas, came to Willie Mammoth Theater a few years ago doing David Reese's show, Get Your War On. And they had the set for it was overhead projectors on screens. And after the show, I said, hey, where did you get the overhead projectors for Get Your War On? And she's like, funny story, actually. We went to one of those like office supply reclamation places, and the guy told us all this stuff came from Enron. And we were like, we'll take the old Enron shit for our show. <laughs> and everything comes Put all that circle. old Enron shit in our pickup truck. It was the best, awesome, most confluence of art and commerce and misery I've ever been a part of. Enron is actually going to be sponsoring our podcast next week, so stick around. <laughs> So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced and edited by our brand new producer, Adriana Ucero. Yay! With technical direction from Brad Shannon and assistance from Christine Canetta. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week we were joined by Huffington Post reporters Laura Barone Lopez, Zach Carter, Shaheen Nasirapur, and Lauren Weber. So that happened is sponsored by ZipRecruiter.com. Check out ZipRecruiter.com slash happen to see what they can do for you. And this podcast is available on iTunes. So please check us out on the iTunes store and look for the Huffington Post whole family of podcasts. Subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. As always, thanks for listening. You guys are the best and we miss you already. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.